Hello, welcome to the Ascension Cast. This is the Axe Project. I'm Robert Lockett. I'm Robbie Lockett. I'm Jarrett Blue. And I'm Alexander Thomas. Hello. 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 (laughs) Take us away. So last time we left off um, with Paul and a mob in Jerusalem, uh, not looking good for him. Uh, (laughs) No, not at all. Things were uh, about to get out of control. Um, and we left you with the, the, the cliffhanger there. Of, and then he raised his voice and began to speak to them in the Hebrew tongue and said, and that was the end of the last episode. <laughs> but now we get to pick up and find out what Paul said. And what he said was kind of a, 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 an apology for himself, not in the sense of I'm sorry, but in the sense of here's what I am. Uh, you know, he... It, it's clear to them since he's speaking Hebrew, I assume um, Hebrew or Aramaic, whichever it might have been, I assume he sounded like a native since he was one. So they probably pretty quickly uh, realized that, oh man, this guy's one of us. Let's hear what he has to say. <laughs> and so he points out that he's kind of a, kind of a, a Jew of Jews, as it were. He's a, you know. And it's been a while since Paul grew up in Jerusalem. It's been some time. Right. So. Yeah. He's traveled around the world. Yeah. Uh, he's he's been a different person going by a different name. So, <laughs> Yeah, I wonder, you know, you almost wonder, did he think to, to introduce himself as Paul, or did he remember <laughs> that I am Saul <laughs> when I'm around here? Uh, you know, he points out he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, um, a, a Pharisee, that whole kind of like, I am... I'm everything that you would want me to be, to be standing up here uh, talking to you about stuff. And then he launches into his story about, you know, I'm in fact such a zealous person that I was out killing all of these new followers of this way thing, this people who were chasing after this Jesus guy. Um, I was out helping to kill them. And in fact, I was on my way to Damascus to round up a whole bunch of them and drag them back down here to (laughs) Jerusalem so we could do whatever it was we were going to do. And that's when it happened. He launches in and he tells them uh, in pretty much word-for-word recap detail of uh, right. the, the story that we already learned of, of his conversion on the Damascus Road down to you know the, the light, the voice, the, uh, the instructions to go to Ananias. Notably, in this version, he asks two questions of Jesus instead of the one that is reported uh, at the telling of the actual story. Um, he asked not only, who are you, Lord, but this time he said, what should I do, Lord? Mm-hmm. And that's how he got the commission to, to go to Ananias and receive his instructions from there. Um, and what we learn is that as he's um, telling the people all of this, there, you know, the, the hush over the crowd apparently remained in place. Um, and we find out that he said... Um, all the way to the end of that telling where he got that commission to go to the Gentiles. And he said, go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And um, Luke interrupts Paul at this point and says, they listened to him up to this point. Then they raised their voices shouting, wipe this man off the face of the earth. Like, (laughs) you know, it all was good while this was a Jew talking to Jewish people about Jewish things. But suddenly he puts the pin in that balloon, and um, uh, here we are back into the mob scene. 
and 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 this is beginning to show the true i think intentions for for what the threat is um it it doesn't really have to do with their religion it has to do with power structures and just being racist uh while we were preparing for this we talked about this is jewish nationalism compared to other religious nationalism and how dangerous it is and those true colors come out here yeah anytime you add um you know, a, a religious descriptor in front of the word nationalism, it seems like <laughs> uh, you pretty quickly get into some kind of ugly things. And, and certainly we do here. The mob is back, and, and here we find the, the Roman soldiers having to do their thing and wade into it and drag Paul out of it. I love the response that they always have. You know, th there's this guy in the middle of this mob, and they're trying to kill him. So the soldiers go get the guy out, and they're initial plan is let's beat it out of him and find out <laughs> right. you know what did you do to cause this to happen right. we'll beat you and then like ask more questions later yeah. and so it's fascinating you know in those first 20 or so verses mm. of the of 22 that the 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 crowd is just taking his information you know word for word there's not this resistance that i feel like you've seen throughout paul's sermons that he's been given but then mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned already you know then once you bring up the gentiles then like you know all heck breaks loose and you know the tide obviously shifts for paul once again and he's thrust back into violence so <laughs> you know luke doesn't really present it as a misstep and uh, but you almost wonder um, if he had just kind of kept to himself a little bit about that whole commission to the Gentiles, um, you know, would we have been back in the first few chapters here of, and, and uh, thousands were added to their number in that very day kind of a story. But mm. instead, um, he found out that if he had added these thousands, it would have been, uh, uh kind of a, a nominal short lived thing. I think this would have been sowing seed into the rocks. And I think like as we think about the previous chapters, I think Paul does allude to the fact that or has this vision that, you know, the time is near for him. And so I think it was, you know, he has this like, you kind of wonder, like, you know, he's going through like his highlight reel very quickly here and he's making sense. But I think he knows like what's coming. So he's like, I might as well just face this head on instead of um, kind of, you know, tiptoeing around the situation. Maybe sometimes he did, I think, leading up in to these sermons and the, then the escalation of violence later. Mm. And so we see Paul, uh, you know, pretty quickly in trouble again. He's, he's, he's pulled out of the crowd and he's about to be flogged. They've got him stretched out, um, you know, his shirt pulled up and his arms stretched out, ready to take the, the uh, probably something like a cat of nine tails to, to whip him with, to whip the truth out of him more or less. Uh, and uh, rather than trying to heal himself by his own stripes, um, <laughs> Paul uh, looks up and he was like, hey, are you going to flog a Roman citizen? <laughs> um, and, of course, just like the last time, he pulled that card out on somebody that they pretty quickly panicked. The, the centurion runs to the commander and is like, what do I do? And the commander's like, you know, bring him here. And so he asks him, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says yes. And we, you, know, you wonder how did he... Uh, prove that, and there's no evidence that he did prove it uh, in the text itself, but we have seen, um, evidently, archaeologists have found these little, like, little wooden plaques that are, you know, kind of passport size, so maybe he was uh, able to produce... Look at my shirt over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my back pocket. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to reach in there right now, but... Um, 
you know, it was, um, so the commander, uh, you know, interestingly said, well, I bought my citizenship for a lot of money. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. So he's kind of got one up on the commander so far. <laughs> um, and then realizing that they were about to be in a lot of trouble for uh, nearly flogging a Roman citizen, they quickly try to get rid of him. Um, they let him go. And the next day, um, the commander was still curious about what's going on here. And so he orders the Sanhedrin and the, the council of chief priests of, of the Jewish folks in Jerusalem to get together and kind of hold their own trial. Um, and uh, this, again, pretty quickly goes um, uh, into violence against Paul because of his own unwillingness to, uh, to to play the diplomat in the face of kind of um, potentially unjust things. The uh, the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest, um, Ananias... As, as a reminder, the Sanhedrin is the council in Jerusalem of 70. That's the group of elders that is like a group of judges. It's like the Supreme Court, almost. But it seems like they also... Uh, th th sorry, Sanhedrin, but they were the... I guess I was jumping, thinking about the Sadducees. So the Sadducees, oh. I think, were, you know, focused on, like, the wealthy. <laughs> they, they don't believe in life after death, so they're sad, you see. That's <laughs> a good way to remember it. I appreciate that, yeah. Yes, and, they, and the, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection and they're more aligned with the Romans than the Pharisees would be. So the Sadducees were more wealthier, kind of the more ruling class, those that settled. The Pharisees were the, the everyday kind of man and more well-liked by the masses. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they are two of the groups of um, Judaism in this day. In, in both groups, um, had representation on the San Sanhedrin, no, apparently split evenly enough that Paul um, kind of saw his way through uh, to uh, get them pitted against each other. Um, but, you know, he says to them, I've lived my whole life in good conscience, and Ananias, the, the high priest, orders him to be struck on the mouth for lying. And uh, Paul said... You know, you're sitting there in judgment of me, and yet you order me to be struck on the mouth uh, unjustly. And uh, somebody near Paul pipes up with, like, you can't say that about the high priest. And, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting that none of us necessarily knew what to make of Paul's answer, where he <laughs> says, I didn't know he was the high priest, for it's written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And, you know, why didn't he know it was the high priest? You know, like you said, he'd been gone for a while, so maybe yeah, he just didn't like recognize him. This is like 20 years later. I mean, it's yeah. been some time. A lot but, can change. <laughs> you figured the guy's got some kind of special, like, sash on his robe or something. He's probably kind of easy to pick out. And uh, we saw one suggestion that um, maybe Paul was being ironic, that because he believed the high priest was doing something unjust, and of course the high priest would never be unjust, um, <laughs> that his response was, well, I couldn't recognize you because you're a, such a hypocrite. You need to take your mask off, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I, I like my ideas, is the author of Luke also added this in, like, well, Paul didn't really know, so he wasn't being that disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe he was, you know, maybe this was just, uh, he really didn't know and he actually didn't say something bad about the high priest knowingly, you, you know. <laughs> looking at the rest of 
Paul's writings, um, I'm going to go with he knew exactly who he was talking to. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, he, he sees that split. He notices there's a bunch of Sadducees here. There's a bunch of Pharisees here. I've got my way forward. And he said, I'm here because I'm preaching the resurrection of the dead. And then he just, you know, mischief thou art afoot. <laughs> Do thou what thou wilt. And um, so um, they end up, you know, shouting amongst themselves, and Paul kind of sneaks out. The <laughs> Not exactly sneaks out, but uh, he uh, more or less just walks away while they're yelling at each other. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting to me about this interaction, so like what we see Paul doing here, both with the appeal of, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, and then here with getting the Pharisees and the Sadducees to fight amongst themselves is Paul is working within the systems that there are. Um, when I when I grew up in a, a different kind of religious environment, um, our philosophy of Christianity that I grew up with was you remove yourself from all all systems, kind of sequester yourself and do your own thing. That's not what we see Paul doing. Paul is working within the systems that there is, and he's appealing like with I'm a Roman citizen into different religious and political leaders to make his case. Like uh, he's. My, you can't see my hands, but they're raising up as tall as my five foot self can go. Um, but he's he's going up into the power structures. Eventually, we're going to see him go to the emperor himself to make make his case for Christ. But he's working within the power structures that he has and that he knows, and so it shows Paul's wisdom, his kind of audacity to do such a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, he's he's wise in doing this. He's savvy with with how he does this, and I think it speaks to us as Christians. And the things we do, we can work within the systems that we have. And utilize, I think, the strengths that we have. So I don't think that... Like Justice Knox is what I'm thinking of. Exactly. Like Paul is not a physical fighter, but in this case here, when it became, you know, utilizing, using his his knowledge as it came to like the, the, excuse me, the political structure, um, you know, and with the religious knowledge that he had, that he knew how to take advantage of that for his, you know you know, wins that he could take them at. <laughs> um, but then where we find Paul at this point is that so he, the Pharisees and Sadducees are, you know, quarreling among themselves. He's then, you know, still in custody, right? So he's in prison and we learn that there's in the next day that there is a plot of 40 men that want to gather together <laughs> to to kill Paul. Always and, the people pleaser. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they've already taken up the, the thought that they will not eat or drink until they accomplish this. And the interesting thing, there's a, a, a verse and a note, basically, that the a nephew of Paul is... Um, provides notice that there's someone or there's a group that has the set initiative to kill Paul. And I, you know, call our attention to that just because from my reading, I think that that may be the first time that we see any kind of family note regarding Paul. It's the only note. Oh, it's the only note. Okay. Later in Paul's letters, he makes mention of not being married, but this is the only note of anything within the Bible about Paul's family or extra biblical sources. Oh, well. so I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and there, here's Luke again, just throwing two cliffhangers at us right in a row. Uh, these 40 guys get together and they take this vow not to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. We know they don't kill Paul. <laughs> right. Luke doesn't <laughs> they tell us whether, <laughs> whether they starved to death. Right. Um, but uh, also, and then, yeah, just randomly, oh yeah, here's Paul's nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a sister who has a son. 
and let's never speak of this again. You know, right. come on, right. Luke, give me some, <laughs> yeah. give me some more uh, biography here. I liked what Jared said about this when we were preparing. Like, we, we see Paul as this like high flying figure, but it's like, remember he has a family. Mm-hmm. Here's a sister, and his, you know, he's Uncle Paul, right? right. To this kid. So <laughs> yeah, and I think it shows, you know, kind of taking the context of our daily walks is that you know, God can use us no matter where we are. And, you know, we all have families. We could be doctors and lawyers and teachers and still like have a huge impact on Mm. people. So it's nice to see this note kind of bringing it home (laughs) to like daily lives. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, you, you always see Paul, um, in statues, he's got the the sword on his side, he's usually like marching with a cross or something. And he's kind of looks like he ought to be Moses or whatever doing all of this. And, and here it is. It's just kind of like you can imagine his sister rolling her eyes and uh, telling this nephew, well, Uncle Paul's going to miss Seder again. <laughs> you know. So we need to make a change. So I they guess didn't, they didn't have Seders yet. That's true. That's, this took like a thousand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's not not really so um, i guess uh, then because of the nephew of course there is a need of a change in location for paul so that so happens they, they go to Caesarea. so they they've been in jerusalem i had to remind myself i asked the guys i'm like where are we right now i'm having trouble keeping track and they're like it's the sanhedrin we're in jerusalem <laughs> so they're in jerusalem they go to Caesarea. it's not that far they go up a little bit north and to for get anybody out. um looking bewilderedly at your map and seeing like seven or eight Caesareas, this one is Maritima, if it happens to have them all labeled. It's Meaning close. it's the one by the water? Yeah, it's near the sea. Okay. But hey, I had the right one. Yeah, the one just <laughs> north of Judea. So we see here Paul kind of moving around. There, there's some other... Um, kind of moments that we have have looked at that I think it's good to keep in mind. So remember Paul studied under Gamaliel, this this big um, Jewish leader that, that kind of is leading a school of Jewish thought. Um, kind of like we said before, this is like around 20 years after Paul has kind of converted. So a lot of time has taken place. Acts flies us through a lot of events with all of Paul's journey. We, we, we know that kind of time check-in because of this mention about Felix. Um, so Felix was the governor of Judea from 52 to 59. And just as an interesting note, he was born as a slave and through his brother gained the favor of the emperor and was placed there like by the emperor himself. So we're seeing Paul begin to talk to some pretty important figures here, kind of as his... Um, ends up going to the emperor himself later. You know, one note I saw on Felix was that he was removed in 59 as governor for mishandling conflicts between the Jews and the Gentiles. <laughs> and so... Uh, Started with Paul. I think, we're, we're, you know, we may be seeing the beginning of the end here for poor old Felix. And so, you know, we see Paul is... Um, they've got to get him out of town. And Luke tells us um, that the, the commander summoned a, a group of soldiers to take him out. And uh, I think I have seen um, attempts to, like, make this into, like, a TV show or something. And, you know, and there's, like, Paul and a few of his people and, like, seven or eight guys that look pretty Roman all walking around. No, no, Luke says that the commander said, get 200 soldiers ready with 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen. 
to go to Caesarea at nine o'clock tonight. So, you know, they get 470 Roman soldiers together, and Paul had created such an uproar in Jerusalem that even with that kind of firepower on hand, they decide to sneak through the night to, to get him out of town. <laughs> and then you see this fun little letter that they write to, to, to Felix. And, you know, a comment on kind of why this is taking place. Again, Paul's a Roman, and so, like, um, with there's Roman honor that stands on keeping Paul protected. What you saw with Jesus, Jesus as a Jew was thrown before the Sanhedrins. They tried to reach out to the Roman authorities, and they're like, he's a Jew, you deal with it yourself. Well, it's different for Paul. And so, again, as we see Paul work in these, these different power structures, kind of the way that these trials worked is you would appeal to the next kind of governing authority. So you start with your local leader and maybe the centurions involved, but then they're going to reach out to the governor. Uh, and then eventually what we're going to see with Paul is um, when there's this kind of death threat, Paul as a Roman had a right to appeal to the governor uh, himself, or sorry, to the emperor himself. And so what we end up seeing with Paul is he appeals all the way to the emperor. Well, he's under Roman custody and protection, so they ship him off to Rome, and then the accusing party has to also meet him at Rome for that trial, which... Uh, the Sanhedrin never does. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of expensive to go all the way to Rome. They don't care that much. They want him out of their hair. But here we see kind of how this justice and everything works. And Yeah. So, I mean, Paul is seeking justice. And I guess we can take some comfort or like disappointment that, you know, even during the time of Paul, that the wheels of justice move slow. So um, <laughs> when we get to the, our next episode, we're going to still be working with Paul as he goes through the legal system and you have a change of venue, change in, uh, I guess, judges that are presiding over this. And I think you know, that's fascinating as we continue to try to see how Paul continues on his journey and spreads the message. Um, so with that, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ascension Cast and this being the Axe Project. Peace. See you next time. Peace. <laughs>